Hello, Greyhounds. Welcome to Ted Lasso is Life, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Duong. I'm joined by my marvelous co-host, Chrisanne Morgan. Hey, all you Greyhounds. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 3, 451. And it feels like we had 451 new nuggets of information in this episode. So the speculation about Colin is true. Zava's finally here and he lives up to the hype, but Jamie's not buying it. Ted gets some gut-punching news about things back home. And Rebecca sees a psychic and sees red, but then eventually also sees green. In episode 203, Do the Rightest Thing, when Keeley introduces Banter to the club, Colin replies with, oh, like Grinder." There was a pretty long, uncomfortable silence, and Richard almost swiveled his head off of his neck by the way that he reacted. The first part of the interaction with Colin mentioning Grinder makes a lot more sense now that we know that he has a boyfriend named Michael. The second part is still a work in progress since when the Greyhounds were talking about Zava and then Isaac made a joke, oh, that sounds gay, bruv. Clearly, the team is still not completely open to accepting Colin's sexuality. So definitely that seems like it'll be one of the main storylines going forward. You know, I agree with you to a certain point about that. I really feel like the team would be completely open to Colin's sexuality because of how tight knit they are and how accepting they are of one another um, and the way that they've grown together. Um, And I'm so glad, like we were like, Colin's gay, Colin's gay. We can't wait to see his storyline. And they finally gave us the payoff with, with showing Colin with his boyfriend and can we just quickly talk about the opening music? So funny with the soundtrack starting and then stopping when he runs his Lamborghini into the garbage pails. Oh my garbage God, pails. that was so perfect. So funny. The the what? The garbage pails. Wait, the... No, I was saying the rubbish pails because the British. Oh, right. Rubbish pails. The rubbish bins. Right. Rubbish bins. Rubbish bins. Rubbish bins. Yes. The American and the Canadian got it right. That was great. And I'm very excited. I'm very excited to see Colin's storyline. I'm really looking forward to how the writers will handle this coming out and handle his coming out um, because I think it's going to be beautiful. And I think, as always, they will give us something really beautifully while making us laugh or making us cry laugh or laugh after crying. I'm kind of in between two worlds, the real one and the Richmond one. The Richmond one, of course, the guys love Colin, and I like to think that they'd be open to him coming out. But then, of course, in real life, in professional sports, especially at the highest level, you rarely get any athletes that come out while they're actually playing because they're in fear of the homophobia. So, Yeah, I just read in an article that there's only one out footballer in England right now. And that that's a heartbreaker, you know, and it part of the episode was so heartbreaking too. And he walked into Sam's restaurant and introduced Michael as his wingman. And they had the whole straight guy bit that hurt my heart, you know, because I hate to see them not being able to be who they really are for fear of homophobia. And you would think it would be gone at this point in time, but it's not. And we're still battling it. So I really do hope that they, you know, Maybe make this a hopeful storyline and and that he comes out and everything's really good. And 
perhaps more people will have the courage because of it. I honestly think, though, that in Colin being uh, pushed out of the way for Zava, and I loved how Isaac checked in on him. That's so, it just made my heart so happy that Isaac was like, you're okay. Um, I wonder if when he wasn't super cautious about making out with Michael on the street outside of the restaurant, I wonder if him being pushed aside his kind of changing his attitudes about how he thinks and feels about his role in the team and how he wants to live his life. Just something that I, I, I wonder what's, you know, I wonder what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. And then a couple of, um, sure, pretty purposeful lines they had in here to probably plant the seeds for Richmond being open about Colin coming out. I think right after Isaac made the, the gay joke, then Sam goes, oh, some men have a charisma that transcends orientation. And then when, when Zab is in Rebecca's office, he says, time is a construct like gender and many of the alphabets. So there are glimmers there already. Yes, they're planting the seeds. Absolutely. And then Colin cracking that joke. All right, I'll have sex with Zava. Like, yeah, all right, let's open this door. I hope that for Colin, his mantra of I am a, I'm a strong and capable man is something that he steps into in this season and really lives it and owns it rather than it just being kind of a hollow affirmation that he says but doesn't really believe. I think we're going to see him step into it because we're seeing some growth in a lot of different places. It's his turn. Live it, baby. You are a strong and capable man. I've also seen some comments about some people being worried that perhaps Trent might out Colin. And I would just remind people that Roy had to go through a lot with himself to be able to forgive Trent. And if he found out about this possible hypothetical situation, he'd probably fucking kill Trent. So I think we can probably put that idea to bed. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't get the sense that Trent is going to spill that because I do feel like he's starting to be integrated as a member of the team and a member of the group. And you don't want to uh, screw over your people. That's totally, that would be antithetical to his goals, which is writing the book. So let's address the Zava-shaped elephant in the room. <laughs> it feels like a very large and muscular shape. Yes. Yes. With, with abs that lots of Henry's friends, moms really appreciate and enjoy looking at. Um, Zava is on the scene. And as Keely explained, as humans, we adapt around genius. And when I first saw the episode, it was a little bit uncomfortable for me to think that Zava was just coming in and he was just taking up all of the air in the room and on the pitch and wasn't really allowing the other players that, that sense of team, uh, team play that we're so used to and that we appreciate so much about the Greyhounds and that Ted strove for so hard with Jamie. And Zava, to me, seems like a monolith. We don't get to see any of his inner workings, really. It's like you see Zava, you see the performative aspects of him, but you don't really know what's going on behind that superstar veneer and, and what's happening with him. He does say some really interesting things. He's very weird. We were expecting that. And 
I know a lot of people out in the Twitterverse and the Lassoverse on Twitter are uh, worried that he is going to destroy the team, which I don't think is a thing that will happen. I actually had somebody send me a, a direct message asking me about it. Uh, and I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but I do feel like it's kind of a ringer, you know, they're using him to get them up the ladder in the standings and then something will happen. Some chaos will likely happen and then the team will come together and uh, maybe, maybe Jamie in wanting to be better than Zava will end up being the person who ends up scoring the winning goal and winning the whole darn thing after he was the one that scored the goal that got them relegated. That would be poetic. Wouldn't that be poetic? I think that would be great. I also really feel like Zava doesn't feel, he's so one dimensional, right? We, we're not seeing any of his humanity. We're not able to connect with any of his humanity. There's just this idol worship from the young guys on the team who love him. <laughs> and I do love the fact that we're finding out that um, Richmond players would uh, make love to Boots. Uh, there's a callback to Colin in season two, episode eight. And uh, when he says, when Danny says that he first made love to a pair of Zava boots, I thought that was really funny. Especially since the way they were set up talking to Keely was like almost exactly the same as well. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I kind of feel like Zava seems like a one dimensional plot device just to further their journey along because Ted doesn't seem to be really paying attention to it too much. And I feel like so much of this triumph feels a little bit hollow for me as a fan because it's not my boys scoring the goal, you know, and you want to see the joy and the happiness. I mean, heck, they have three aces now. They've got Danny, they've got Jamie, and they've got Zava. They could really just obliterate any other team. But giving everything to Zava doesn't, I don't understand that choice. I don't understand why they don't want any of the other team to, to really participate as much. I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not liking that part of the storyline uh, very much because it's not about the boys. It's just about Zava and he's a new character and suddenly everything is about Zava. So that was something that was a little bit tough for me to watch. How did you feel about him? So to echo your sentiments, there's a saying in sports called built, not bought. With Zava, they obviously bought him, whereas the guys before we've had for a season, if not at least two. So like you said, it, it doesn't really feel the same. Even though they didn't win the Chelsea game and they only tied, I had a lot more satisfaction out of that than the six games they won in a row with Zava. Yeah. Same, same. I like that. Built, not bought. And it does feel a little bit cheap because he's running them up. He's running them up the standings and it's not a team effort, you know? And I wonder if, um, I wonder if the press is going to somehow come down on Richmond for, oh, you bought this amazing player. Your wins aren't actually legitimate because it was all Zaba. Well, that's kind of what George said when he was asked if, he thinks uh, Lasso is the coach of the year or not. Yeah, it's definitely not as fun as seeing Ted really coach 
the boys into winning every game. So I hope that that changes. And I'm with Jamie. He's looking at the big picture and hopefully everybody else is too, but it doesn't seem like the leadership on the team is really uh, paying much attention. They all seem like they're kind of asleep at the wheel, taking the easy wins, which is kind of the opposite of what Rebecca was um, criticizing Zava for in the previous episode. You know, here they've got this big shiny player that they know is going to score amazing goals rather than actually try and win on their own. So it's an interesting plot twist. And I hope that there isn't incredibly harmful chaos but Rebecca may have just sabotaged the team again by having by going for Zava in her efforts to defeat Rupert and feel her vengeance. Ironically, this time unintentionally. Unintentionally, yep. Speaking of ironic, that moment where Jamie walks in telling the, uh, the coaches that he is a glory hound and doesn't really care about anybody else. And Beard telling Mitt was ironic and then Jamie retorting with, I was being hypocritical. And Beard realizing that Jamie was right was such a chef's kiss moment for me. I thought that was so great. Our little Jamie's growing up. So with that word hypocritical, it actually applies to Zaba as well. So of course, when he meets the team, he has this whole thing about, oh, it's not about me. It's it's the we, the we and us. But then literally when he goes into the coach's office and he rearranges the formation, it's him on an island and then all the other players bunched up together. And then the first game, when he tells Jamie, get open, he'll pass to him. I don't think he made a pass in any of those seven games, let alone to Jamie. So, wanker. And then he stole Jamie's goal, which was a total dick move. Yeah, he's a fucking wanker. So, yeah, it's definitely all for show. Uh, he's kind of hollow. And the wins feel hollow to me. And... I'm not liking the not liking this storyline so much, but I trust the writers, and so I'm trying to be curious, but I'm skeptical. I am a skeptic. Just like Rebecca Walton is and Deborah Walton was. Exactly. I am skeptical. I would like to add that even though I thought that Zava was kind of one-dimensional, all of his shenanigans shall we say i thought were really hilarious like the way that he had incredible introductions every time and the, the forehead press with higgins just made me giggle you are the glue and everything that he did it just made me laugh it was so very funny um so even though i didn't give him the best review i do think that everything the way in which they used him was very funny, especially with his locker being expanded. Or lockers. That's really extra. Yeah, it's very extra with, with a recliner. And then I think they took the recliner out. But meditating there and then sitting in the middle of the room and using a, um, a Tibetan singing bowl. It just all made me laugh. So I did enjoy it. I did enjoy the chaos of Zava. I did not so much, and you may or might not have seen, but I made a meme about that exact meditation when they're all in the middle, and then Jamie comes in and swiftly proceeds to walk out. I'm obviously Jamie in the situation. <laughs> well, I do like that Jamie's seeing the bigger picture. And it's also great that even though we didn't get an official biscuits with the boss, we had maybe even better, why are there biscuit crumbs all over your desk? 
That was really good too. That was a great nod. For me though, like one of the biggest issues with the whole Zaba storyline is like not official in any way yet, but seems like the tea leaves are leading towards this being the final season. So if it is, I don't want to see the guys wasting their time just like bowing down to this new guy. I want to learn more about the players. Like, was Danny always so happy or was not having to play in El Chapel's youth league anymore free him and gave him happiness? How did Bumber Cash get into knitting? And how is Will the Kitman 25 but not know what a CD is? So on the note, quick question. Our producer Camille is 24. Camille, do you know what a CD is? Yes, and I even know what a floppy disk is. See, there we go. There we go. So like, did his parents just listen to vinyls all the time? Like, this is the stuff I'd rather get into than just like Zava. The Zava show? Yeah, I agree. We need more. We need more juice from the people that we've come to know and love over the last two seasons. I really want more Colin, too. I'm excited. He's such a brilliant actor, Billy Harris, that I just want to see so much more for him and, and learn about his life. Speaking of good acting, I know we've been like just reaming out Zava for the past 10 minutes, but like Max has done a good job of creating that aura of what a godlike player should be. So kudos to him. Yeah, he's pretty hilarious. I mean, if you just sit back and watch what he's doing, it's I laughed in spite of myself, I gotta say. <laughs> the scorpion kick got me. I thought that was really funny. So for this week's fun football fact, that goal in the very first game where Zaba scores from the halfway line is inspired by a real-life goal. So when Zlatan Ibrahimovic joined LA Galaxy, it wasn't from the very first minutes. It was actually the opposite. I think it was close to the end of the game, but it was about a third of the way out, and he saw the goalie out of position, and he scored from pretty far. Nice. And you know who else scored a goal way back from midfield was Jamie Tart. So that was the first thing I thought of when I saw that. I was like, Jamie can do that too. I got to take up for Jamie. I have to support my man. I will say the the one good thing about the Zava storyline is that seems like we'll get a lot of Rory and Jamie together, which is can only mean good things. I cannot wait to see Roy start start training Jamie. Cannot wait. I think it's going to be brilliant, and I can't wait to see what Jamie does. And I hope my theory plays out. I'm worried that Ted is asleep at the wheel, and Ted is too distracted by his own life right now and not really paying attention to the perils of turning the whole team over to Zava and not integrating him more and not asking him to be more of a team player. I think what Ted's got going on right now is causing him to be a little distracted at the wheel. I mean, even when they introduced Zava in the locker room, he essentially just started like standing in front of Ted and like towering over him. You couldn't, could barely see him. So pretty sure that was some intentional filmmaking there as well. Oh yeah. That sight gag was pretty funny. Just upstaging Ted all the time when he was trying to be the coach. I think that this is all playing into Ted figuring out who he is and what he wants and learning the kind of coach that he really wants to be. And also figuring out the life that he wants to lead, right? Because he's been questioning it so much this season. I think that we are seeing Ted go through the biggest growth that we've seen on the show so far. And if, you know, the Ted Lasso gimmick, for lack of a better word, of showing the person's face at the beginning and the last scene of every season with the clearest arc 
uh, is a thing, then we're going to be seeing Ted make some big life affecting choices. We all love Ted because he's relatable and he became even more so this week when he started stalking his ex's new flame on social media. Oh, yeah. Don't do it, Ted. Oh, that was a pretty big pour he had, too. You could tell that he was just hitting that whiskey bottle. It's not that I blame him for doing that. I think it's it's hard to watch your ex move on, and it's kind of a gut punch. Ted was skeptical of having marriage counseling, felt like he was being set up instead of heard, and now it kind of feels like he he got betrayed by his own marriage counselor. And just the levels of unethical behavior, the stunning lack of ethics on the part of Dr. Jacob kind of blew my mind and made me really, really angry. Motion to call him Jake the Jackass? I'll allow it. Yeah, when Sassy heard about it, she called it borderline unethical. It's not on the fence at all. Like you said, it's very clearly way, 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 way fucking bad. Yeah, in the United States, the regulation is about seven years after seeing a patient therapeutically that you can date them. So it's pretty far over the fence and into the next county. Hearing Michelle's last name be Keller and not Lasso. Goodness me, that was a lot of gut punch in one very fast phone call. So not only did Ted have to learn right away that Michelle is seeing someone with whom she's friendly enough to let answer her phone, but having Henry around a new guy, which Ted kind of found out before because he had said that Jake gave him the Thanos gauntlet. It's interesting to me that during that little snippet, she said that there was a lot to catch up on. And she's not really communicating with Ted or getting his okay. But as a single parent myself, I know you don't really bring somebody into your kid's life unless it's going to be a serious situation. At least that's how I ran my own life. Didn't introduce anybody that I was just kind of casually dating. So Dr. Jake is probably a thing, you know, probably a little bit more serious than we're seeing. Unless Michelle is just a horrible human being. On the more uplifting side of things, some people might have noticed that Henry's jersey number is nine, and we know who his favorite player on Richmond is and what number he wears. Oh, one Mr. Jamie Tart. I don't know about y'all, but I love Jamie. I've always loved Jamie. Even when he was being the prince prick of all pricks. Really? Yeah. I think because Phil makes Jamie lovable. Like, I think... In the first season when he was talking to Keeley, I mean, you just know Jamie just doesn't, at the, in the first season, just didn't get it. Phil makes the character lovable. You know, there are some villains that just are not redeemable or lovable at all. Yeah, I've always loved Jamie. Always, always. I think it's Phil Dunster and um, he, the way he plays Jamie in such a way that, yeah, he's confident and he's sometimes a prick, but he's also very funny and that's endearing to me. On the other side of the Ted Love spectrum, we saw the return of Sassy, and I just want to make some pointed observations to those who ship Sassy and Ted. You'll notice that the only times that we see Sassy is when Ted's going through some really rough shit. In Liverpool, right after he signed his divorce papers, 
And then at the funeral, right after he revealed to Dr. Sharon that his father committed suicide. And then today's episode, after he found out about Jake the Jackass. So not exactly the best track record there for Sassy. And then she even says to, in her words, Beauty and the Stink, that if Ted isn't around when she does her lap around the restaurant, then she'll try to quote-unquote scale Mount Zava, despite the fact that he is a married man. So is this really the woman you want to be with our lovable mustache man? I don't think so. Yeah, there are a couple of things that I'm a little bit tired of. I'm tired of them bringing Sassy back and I'm tired of them bringing Jane back. I feel like those two connections are just kind of played out and I don't feel like they're bringing anything new. It's just kind of a replay of an old worn out dynamic. And I would be ready to see those both of those connections move on. I mean, I love Ellie Jane Taylor, but I'm I'm bored with the Ted and Sassy thing and I'm really bored with the beard and Jane thing as well. So an interesting thing that Ted said about Beard and Jane, he said that y'all baggages just match right up. And what do you know that Ted has a lot of baggage and so does Rebecca and they share a similar date of that baggage. They really do. Their baggage matches right up, Ted and Rebecca. Almost perfectly. And I do wonder who it is that's going to be the person that says, shite, I'm your shite in nining armor. Now you know that Kevin and I are Ted Becca shippers and we're on that train. And I'll be honest, if they don't give us the Ted Becca relationship in the way that I want it, it'll be okay if they're just, you know, soulmates forever and ever, amen. I'll be okay with that, but I'm still holding out hope. Because I do feel like I saw a little bit of a flash in Rebecca's eyes when Sassy came around searching for Ted. And I don't know what that was exactly other than... It's not just this time, it's every time. The last time at the funeral when Sassy's walking away and talking to Ted and then Deborah catches Rebecca looking and then she's like, oh, she likes the wounded birds. Yes, Sassy does love those wounded birds. And then in Liverpool, when they beat Everton and Rebecca, Sassy, and Keeley go into the locker room, the look on Rebecca's face when she's so surprised that Sassy knows who Ted is and hugs him in such a very welcoming way, we should say. Yeah, a very familiar way. Such a familiar way that you don't expect people you don't know have met each other. Yeah, it was a little extra familiar for sure. So I'm saying it's not the first time that Rebecca has had some, I guess, envious eyes towards Sassy and Ted. Yeah, especially since as Ted's boss, it would be a little inappropriate for her. But then again, there's the whole Sam situation. So you mentioned that phrase the psychic had, shite in nining armor. Obviously I'm biased, but I feel that probably a reference to... Ted saying that he was white knighting when he was doing the darts with Rupert. That does seem like a cool callback, but because that's supposed to be happening in the future, I wonder if he will. I wonder if Ted is going to somehow save her, pick her up or have, having fallen down in the rain or something or what have you. They introduced so much new in this episode and 
I'm so glad that they had Rebecca go to Tish. I love that we got introduced. I did not. <laughs> Tell me why. Tell me why you didn't like Rebecca seeing Tish. So you made the point earlier that with Rebecca trying to sign Zava, that was almost more still trying to get back at Rupert than like going with her own goals. Yes. Feel that with Tish and seemingly getting quote unquote advice on her lo- love life, then it seems like she's losing even more agency because like as much as I hated Sam Becker last year, at least Rebecca made those decisions on her own. Now I feel with the psychic, oh, a green box. Is this a sign? Is this a sign? It just feels like she's going to be driven by that instead of her own decisions. So again, I'm just speculating here, but that's the path I'm worried that is going to go down. That's why I didn't like it. Yes. Uh, there is a reality in which people defer to what a psychic says and don't take responsibility for your life. That's a totally valid concern. Um, but adding in that little element, which clearly, if they were foreshadowing in in earnest, you know, if they were actually giving us a real and not just a fake out of foreshadowing that they could write off because it was said by a psychic. And you know, things that a psychic says don't always come true. Of course, the skeptic um, remains to be seen, right? But I, I don't think Rebecca is one to see a sign in everything beca- because she is such a skeptic to begin with. And the fact that she has a moment where she thinks that it might be a sign because she has the green matchbook in her hand was was an interesting moment. So I think it could go either way. I didn't hate it. I kind of love that kind of thing. Um, I think it's a really interesting way to incorporate Tish into the fray and to really understand that that's something that Rebecca really wants. We get to see in her reaction how wounded and the idea of having a, a family triggers her, you know? So we're definitely getting to see more of the depths of Rebecca and how she's responding. Um, but I rather enjoyed it. I thought it was a beautiful scene. I really enjoyed um, getting to meet Tish and having that person fleshed out for us a little bit. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great scene, played very well. Okay, we'll start with the positives of that. Like, obviously, Hannah. Knocked it out of the park as usual. No swing and miss on this at all. The way she reacted. You could see the entire look on her face change when Tish brought up first the family and then the motherhood. So Hannah's going to be nominated again for sure. But to the other point, like last week I was just sitting here singing the praises how amazing the writing was, planting the seeds of the roaring trend beef from season one that I feel like having a psychic is just kind of gimmicky and i i have more faith in the writers that they could have been able to explain to us why rebecca wants a family without having to use a psychic you know i don't think it's them showing us she wants a family necessarily because that was kind of something they took off the table for her because rupert never wanted to have a child and she abdicated her life to rupert's rule and didn't go for what she wanted Um, I think in my opinion, um, and take it with a grain of salt, of course, I think that we're getting to see that 
Rebecca will have a family and it's going to be something very unconventional and it's going to be something that's going to grow from her connection to the people that she's with rather than seeking it outside of herself because we didn't get very much time in the reading because it happened all so fast. There wasn't really much information to go on, but Rebecca becoming a mother, I think is going to happen, but I think it's going to happen in an unexpected way because of the way that they told us that in a very unexpected kind of unorthodox way. It's interesting that you mentioned that because there are some theories out there. It's like, oh, so they're going to kill off Sassy and Rebecca's going to be the mom for Nora's like, I know we killed off a dog, but killing off some humans and tell us too might be a stretch, you know. I know that I had that thought when I saw that scene as well. Um, and we do know that since she was handed a very special green matchbox that they are giving Tish credibility, right? The built-in credibility of having been right about one thing. We don't know how Rebecca is going to become a mother. We just don't know. And I think it's going to be brilliant to find out. She could be a mother to Henry. She, you know, there are a number of different things that could happen. That don't involve death, which is my point. Yes, exactly. I had that little thought blip through my mind too. Ooh, is something bad going to happen to Sassy and she's going to be Nora's mom? But um, it could be anything or anyone right now. I don't really have a good prediction that I think will come true at the moment, but that could change as I think about it. But I'd much rather just wait and see. Well, maybe Sassy dies when she's trying to scale Mount Zava. (laughs) A tragic mountain climbing accident. Kevin, I'm not sure if you agree with me or not, but I think one of the most interesting points or features of this episode was that they were having so much success with Zava. Rebecca got what she wanted. Things were going up. And then so many of them we see are being faced with some, you know, life challenges and in some big ways and are having such great success, but also having these emotional minefields or emotional life challenges to weed through. And it was interesting the way that they set that up in my mind because, you know, people can be really focused on success and having everything that they want, but that's not really what makes you happy in life, right? I mean, they have all the trappings of success. They're on this winning streak, but there's so much in so many people's lives where they're not actually happy. And so finding that source of happiness for them, you see them seeking it out in whatever way that they can find it. Rebecca going to the psychic to try and hear about something great about her love life or, you know, Ted trying to make himself feel better by looking on social media and talking to people about his heartbreak and Beard continuing on with his kind of defunct relationship with Jane that doesn't change. Um, Sam, I think, is killing it in the making himself happy department, you know, because he's really focusing on the important things in life. And I just thought that was so interesting. I think because of my take on the world and feeling like you need to enjoy your life while you have the chance to, you know, and find what's working and what's good every single day. um, I just found it, it was a really interesting theme that the show, this episode carried for me this week. So if I understand what you're saying, essentially the Zava Field Richmond winning streak is just papering over the cracks at the moment. Kind of. I like that take on it. Definitely apt. Yeah. Yeah. Such a great way to put that. 
But I think Zava will also highlight the areas that are not firm. I think there will be some sort of a climax and we will see all of the areas that need to be fixed. And then everybody will kind of be like, oh yeah, let's take care of this. Let's actually fix it and move forward. And I think that that will also be Zava's gift to them. When I posted on social media that I wasn't the biggest fan, some people were kind of shocked and then got into some deeper DMs with some people. And some people feel that Zava isn't here to stay for long. What do you think about that? I too feel like Zava will leave the club. So like before the season is over. Yeah, I have a feeling that he's going to leave before the season's over. I feel like his chaos is just going to be long enough to get them sorted and into the standings so that they can still make it through. I'm uncomfortable having him take all of the attention away from the players. And I, I'm not a giant fan of it. I think it's great, but I don't really want it to be reality for a long time. So I'm hoping he uh, takes off soon, follows his phone to Mykonos. So I don't know about you all, but I have still not forgiven the writers for breaking Roy and Keeley up. But I do enjoy seeing them kind of look at each other longingly and seeing them be whole individuals without the other one. I mean, let's face it, Roy really needed to kind of learn how to be an emotive person in order to be a better boyfriend and better human being. But I do also think that you don't need to be perfect before you're in a relationship. So I really hope that they're on their way back to each other's arms because I like them better together. And I think that, you know, they just better get back together. Do you hear me, writers? I know it's already written, but I I really want them to get back together. What are your thoughts, Kevin? I would say it's very interesting that Roy Kent doesn't do interviews, but he'll do one for Keely. They clearly still love each other so much. They have to get back together. It has to happen. I believe that it will. I believe and believe. On another note, I feel like they're giving us a little bit of a connection with Sam and his chef, and I'm not quite sure if they're just really good friends or if there's a little bit of chemistry. Seems a little like there could be some chemistry. And I would like Sam to not be with Rebecca because the age difference and just, you know, the insurmountable, no matter how wonderful he is, that's always a relationship that that just doesn't actually work in real life. And even if they don't give us Rebecca and Ted, I still don't want there to be a Sam Becca because they're just not right. The ethics, there's just a huge disconnect and very different life goals at those two different ages in your own life where Sam is just getting his, his life started and she is on the other side. You know, her life is going towards a, a, a different path completely. So I would like to see very much Sam be happy. And I'm kind of wondering if he's getting romantically involved with his chef. And now it's time for our favorite part of the podcast and some of yours as well. It's the awards. So Chris Ann and I are both nice people and we love Ted Lasso. So we thought we gave out fun awards each week in a variety of categories. First one, MVP. MVP! MVP! If this award was based purely on football, then Zaba would win hands down. But it's not. To paraphrase Ted, it's about people being the best versions of themselves on and off the field. So my MVP is Jamie. 
He corrected not one but two people on their English. First, Beard with hypocritical versus ironic, and then Roy with prima donna. This is coming from the guy who used to think that instant karma was instant caramel, and he's also the only one who sees Zava for who he might actually be. And then he's enlisted Roy to help him not just be as good as Zava, but even better. My MVP might surprise you this week, but I'm giving it to Shandy. She seems to be so willing to do whatever needs to be done, including stripping her top off and streaking wherever she needs to go in order to change things up. She's always willing to do what needs to be done, but she also quest she called Roy to the mats to ask why he dumped Keely, which I got to say, when you have a ride or die like that, it feels really good. Even if they're wrong, just to be supported that way is wonderful. But also in the restaurant, when she went up to Zava and uh, told him to show some love on his socials, it's perfect. And what needed to happen? I like her moxie. I like, I don't necessarily know that she is right for the job that she's doing, but she definitely added that little quirky, hilarious, just unexpected bit of fun for me. And I really liked that. I liked, I like her energy and it makes me laugh. I definitely did not expect that. I kind of feel like Barb here in saying that I'm not sure if she has the credentials for this job, but I'll agree with you that she is definitely enthusiastic about it. She's so enthusiastic about it. And that's why I like her. Now on the other end of the spectrum, the wanker of the week. Let's see what we got here. Wanker. There's only one choice for wanker of the week. There's only one. And it's it's Dr. Jacob. Jake the jackass. Jake the jackass. Did you also choose him, Kevin? Who was your choice for wanker of the week? He was also my choice, but I just wanted to uh, show some air quote condolences to Rupert, whose two-week wanker streak has sadly come to an end because he was only in the episode for like five fucking seconds. And watching him sit there with Bex and Diane was an interesting little glimpse. I thought he had all the TVs removed from their house, though. Obviously, that wasn't true. Nothing this man says is true. Unless he's throwing shade at Rebecca. Our next award celebrates proficiency in profanity, excellence in expletives, virtuosity in vulgarities. It's the Roy Kent Cussing Award. Fun. That's fun, isn't it? My award for this week, I think, is going to Rebecca when she tells Tish that she is fucking cruel. The layers and the way that that was played and everything that Hannah Waddingham put into that line was just so powerful for me. And uh, it really hit home. So that's that's my award this week. Yeah, I'll definitely agree with you on that. You could just feel the emotion dripping off of that curse from years of not being able to have a family with Rupert and then now thinking that the psychic's fucking with her. So just all those things coming together really, really strong. Yeah, it was definitely multi-layered. And Rebecca uses a lot of fuck bombs, but this one was, this one was a notch above, I think. This shit went nuclear. Scorched earth. And now for the You're Gonna Make Me Cry Award, what moment made you really emotional in this episode? 
For me, it was probably when Ted started the whole sequence of trying to call Henry, and then he started getting he started feeling bad because he couldn't remember Michelle's cell phone number. And then when he did finally get through, it was Jake the Jackass. And then at first, he didn't really see it. But then as the call kind of went on, you could see the look on his face kind of changed when he started piecing the puzzle together. Just I guess one of the reasons why I didn't like this episode was, like you mentioned, Chris, a lot of people went through a lot of pain and suffering. And Ted went through probably some of the most painful. I think for me, the moment that made my heart hurt was when Michael comes into the restaurant with Colin and they do their bit about pretending to be straight guys. I think it just, it broke my heart. Uh, And I know I mentioned it before and I just touched my heartstrings because I don't feel like anybody should be afraid to be who they are. And if they're in a situation that they are, I just want to make it so they don't have to be. And I really, really wish that we lived in a society that didn't have that kind of a problem anymore. So that was it for me. Yeah, but like we said, hopefully as the season progresses, Colin will come out and that Richmond and his Greyhound teammates will be supportive of him. That's how I think it's going to unfold. And now for That Was Funnier Than Step Brothers Award. I've always funnier than Step Brothers. What was the most hilarious moment scene line of the episode for you? I think my laugh out loud moment the thing that i thought was the funniest was uh the coaches all talking about julie andrews in the office and each telling their favorite julie andrews character and just roy's commentary and then trent crim coming out with clarice rinaldi for his favorite julie andrews character i thought that was so great because of course he zagged yep And I just love Roy saying, fuck yeah, Princess Diaries. It was so great. Because obviously, you know, he's watched that with Phoebe. Roy and Jamie together, I think, is one of the top comedic combos this show has. Like we saw last week with the whole empathy, dusty fart thing. And then this week, the scene at Ola's was also great. Like the frowning versus not smiling. But then when Roy agrees to train him and then he asks, Jamie asks one day to start. And then Roy just fucking knocks the fork out of his hand and the food is all over the wall. For a split second, I had abs like Zava because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> that was really funny. And then the waitress is just annoyed. Look like, really? Our next award is for best fashion. She's fucking fat! Our goalkeeper, Zoro, he wore this beautiful Paul Smith sweater uh, at Ola's when they went out, and I just thought it was so beautiful. They're really dressing some of the characters up that are the the Greyhounds nicely, because obviously they're lads who make a lot of money and they want to look really good. I love that sweater. It looked so good on Mo. I thought it was just gorgeous. And I love that it was kind of off the beaten path and a little bit eclectic and not just kind of some boring, you know, jock. I thought it was really, really the height of fashion and super cool and exactly what somebody like him would wear. Also, uh, Mo uh, Judy Lamour is super fashionable in life. If you've ever seen his Instagram, he dresses really well. He is the recipient of the He's Fucking Fit Award this week and well-deserved. And uh, Jackie Levy, the costume designer, can do no wrong in my eyes. Although I will say that red dress Rebecca wore looked like it was made for her by the fashion gods. It was so perfect. It was perfection. 
I was going to say, if you didn't throw in that red dress from Rebecca, we would have a lot of angry emails. <laughs> yes, that uh, that red dress was so much perfection, and I don't want to let anybody down. So. And last but not least, since I love Ted Lasso and I'm a writer, it's Kevin's kick-ass line of the week. So something I've learned as I've become more of a writer is that what really gets people attention is not something that's like super creative and out of the box. It's taking something that's really relatable to people, but spinning in a way that they'll understand and appreciate. So I think the best example of this was when Roy said to Shandy, nice to put a face to the hair because it takes a very common saying and spinning it in a funny way. Very funny too. All right, the final whistle is about to blow on this podcast episode, so we're into added time. Some final neat nuggets that we figured that you might enjoy. So while they're in the stadium waiting for Zava, and Ted jokes about what if Zava ended up in Richmond, Virginia, that was actually a callback to Hannah's two-hour chemistry read, where in setting it up, she just presumed it'd be in Richmond, Virginia, because... There's no way it'd be in the Richmond 20 minutes from her house, and it actually was. So this one's probably funny just to mainly us, but there was a little thing we did last week talking about how the British add an S to maths, but we cut it out because it seemed too weird and random. So of course this week on Ted Lasso itself, they make a joke about I the felt math vindicated. with the S. So I also enjoyed when the coaches first confront Zava in the office and they're deciding who should talk to him. And the default is they're all looking to Roy because he's the quote-unquote big dog. But Roy retorts with, (laughs) you're the fucking coach. That was pretty funny. Oh, oh my goodness. And I did, I loved the Zava and Zava and Zava and Zava shirt that he was wearing. But hey, yes, it's about and the I kind of wondered right? if the Wienus, the way he pronounced it, was uh, purposely mushed together. So social media gets a bad rap sometimes, but we got a really great interaction from one Flavor Flav. So you recall in the episode, Ted's talking about how superstars play by their own rules, and then he has a story about how he had to wait three hours to see Public Enemy. And he said that for a man with a giant clock around his neck, it ain't about time. He's making a statement. So then on Twitter, Flavor Flavor clapped back with, Hey Ted Lasso, it ain't about time, it's about being timeless. One time in 2023, I had to wait a whole year and a half for one of my favorite TV shows to come back. Oh, that made my day. So to just wrap up this podcast episode, Chrisanne eventually ended up liking it, although she was a bit on the fence at the beginning. For me though... Still not really my cup of tea. So to that, I'll say, hopefully for me, it's like Kintsugi, where that I'll embrace the flaws and the imperfections, and in doing so, it'll be much stronger and more beautiful in the end. And that concludes our episode for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we greatly appreciate it if you could follow, rate, and review. It's the easiest and free way to support us. Be like Ted and give us a 5-star certified fresh review. And for more of my content, follow me on Instagram at Ted Lasso is Life. I'm the most comprehensive Ted Lasso page out there with videos, news, fun facts, analysis, and of course, memes. Until next time, Greyhounds, onward, forward. <laughs>